out there, all you caring canaries. Thanks so much for joining us for another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I'm joined today by the best co-host you could ever ask for, Casey. Hi, Casey. Oh, hi, Sarah. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I am doing well. It is just past Memorial Day weekend when we are recording this uh, that I didn't really do anything special (laughs) for Memorial Day weekend. It is my weekend for my work week coming up, and I'm very excited about that to just relax and enjoy for a little bit. So, you know, can't complain. Nothing too exciting going on. I know you have lots of exciting things going on. I have lots of exciting things, but they're like all the exciting things about life that take a while for them to actually happen. So you guys know what's going on. Um, But the news of the week is just that it is oppressively hot. It was such a long, cold spring. And now it is like 93 degrees. (laughs) And it's just not nice. (laughs) I mean, it's like that here for me too, but more it, you I signed mean, up it for has this. been yeah <laughs> I I don't mind it too much although I I will say it does feel like it is hotter sooner than one would like it to be but it is like ju- tomorrow is June when y'all are listening to this it's gonna be June and that yes. is blowing my mind right now what time, time forever marches forward and yeah I, too quickly too quickly My grandfather says that that means that I'm getting old. (laughs) Ah, Better than the alternative. That's everyone keeps telling me. Don't get old, Casey. And I'm like, I would rather do that than anything else. So yes, (laughs) of the options available. Sarah, remind me of what the homework was. Because I don't remember. You know, I never remember. But we talked about cities last week. So you Mm -hmm. had kind of a collection of things that you could do depending on where you were at. So we talked about doing what you can with the outdoor space that you have, even if that's just an apartment balcony that you have in the city, finding a way to make it a little green space. All of those green spaces can connect up to be valuable habitat for wildlife. We talked about learning about your sort of city government. Is there any sort of sustainability department that you have or anything like that? Researching that, looking into that, maybe giving them a follow or signing up for an email list, that sort of thing. We also talked a little bit about parking day, which doesn't happen until September, uh, but folks could look into that and see if there was a parking day event going on near them. Now that I've refreshed your memory, did you get a chance to do any of that? I did. Okay. I feel way less like a failure. I did. Actually, (laughs) I did it right after we recorded. Um, I looked at my new town and I tried to find a sustainability website. And this is sort of a dual purpose, both doing my homework, but also trying to figure out who I can talk to about putting (laughs) another storm drain on my street because we are going to get flooding. And it seems like my town has a sustainability page where it's like they have done sustainability reports in the past, but it has been a couple of years and I didn't see like a contact name. So probably my next move is to look at um, some county level things because we're in the county seat. Mm. So probably there's some overlap within the town and then the county is just who might have jurisdiction. So that's my next step. So I did do my Yay! homework. <laughs> How Good about job. you? Yeah, I did kind of the same 
sleuthing. I did a little sleuthing on my government. I actually could not find much for me in particular via city or county. I'm going to do a little more digging as well. But I did, you know, I did find some things like I found a calendar of city meetings that you could go to and there were some old meeting notes that you could look at. So it could be something valuable to, you know, if there were any upcoming discussions or something like that, that I became aware of. But uh, since I couldn't really find anything major on environment or sustainability with government, I did actually follow some NGOs related to the environment and sustainability and signed up for a couple of email lists. I did also follow my city and county government on social media, again, just in case they posted or shared anything that might be valuable. But I did already reach out to my state representatives on some things that the conservation organization was working on. So I felt pretty good about that. That's just a whole bunch of homework that you just did. They're challenges. You just challenged, completed things. (laughs) Nope, that's not quite it. But I'm I'm rearranging all of those words in my head. And they did work. They did work if you rearrange them. My uh, following your local government on um, social media is a good idea, regardless of if you care about any of the things we talk about on this podcast, because my dad is in like local government he's on a a committee you know (laughs) um but when they do make changes that are then visible people will be like why didn't I get a say in what was happening here and like because I follow them on social media I'm like actually they did have a yeah like they say when the meeting was it actually isn't as obscure as like trying to hunt down a website that was created in the year 2000 and like navigate that like they do put a lot out there, so it's kind of worth it. And then if there's any sort of city updates, like emergencies and things, you can also mm-hmm. oftentimes yes. see that there. So yes. good idea, even outside of some of the things that we talk about. Well, Sarah, diving into this week, I have a question for you and it is maybe not a happy question at all. It is what is the sickest that you have ever been? Uh, I am very fortunate, I would say, to have been overall, I think, very healthy in terms of serious illnesses or injuries. The sickest that I've ever been are times that I don't remember. (laughs) So I would say when I was first born, I was born very early and I don't know if that really counts as sick or not, but uh, I, you know, had to be in the hospital for a long time after I was born. Obviously, don't remember any of that myself. And then when I was very young, I don't remember how five, six ish, maybe I got pneumonia and I had to be hospitalized with pneumonia, but I just have very small flashes. Like it was around Christmas time. So I remember like laying on my parents' bed while my mom was calling somebody, maybe my dad, maybe the hospital. I don't know. And then I think I remember my dad like sleeping in my hospital room. And I remember sitting on the stairs and seeing the Christmas tree. Like those are the things that I remember. I don't remember being sick (laughs) at all, but, uh, but that I guess was probably the sickest that I, I had to be hospitalized for. I did have asthma when I was a kid too, but again, I don't remember actually the struggling. Like I don't remember ever having an asthma attack. I remember learning how to use my inhaler and my dad giving me M&Ms every time I used my 
client either. So, that, and, and I grew out of it. It was more of a, a childhood illness for me. So, um, but as an adult and things that I can re- really remember, you know, outside of my own self-induced post-race illnesses, I, you know, I've been very fortunate. So not a lot in memory. Well, it's funny you bring up asthma. I think actually a lot of people I know had like some sort of asthma diagnosis when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I think have grown out of that Mm -hmm. as they get older. I was diagnosed with asthma and I've talked about this, I think on the pod before when I was 18 months old, which is like before you can even really communicate that something's going on. But my parents were like, something is very wrong with this baby and had to take me to a couple of doctors before I got an actual diagnosis. And a lot of my early memories, like you said, like learning how to use the inhaler with like, we had like the breath chamber. Yes. Did you have one of those things where you had to like blow into it and it would like measure your airflow? No, I don't remember having to do that. That was fun. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember how you do it. I, I had one of the regular like handheld ones at home. And then when you go to the doctor's office, they like you blow into the cardboard tube and then yeah. like the three little piggies houses go down or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I I believe I had to go to the hospital a couple times when I was a kid. Um, and my parents would give me nickels. I I would do things well. Positive reinforcement. Such positive reinforcement. I will say, actually, I have weirdly good memories. Sometimes when I was having issues with asthma is when like my parents both worked growing up. So they would stay up late with me and like read me books or things like that. We would play a game and it actually was like a family time that we had. So there's a weird duality to some of my memories there, but even as an adult, I struggle with asthma and especially it was actually during COVID when I had (laughs) my recent worst bit, um, I remember, which like woke me. Yeah. It woke me up while I was sleeping. And really I was like, that was one of the scariest time being an adult and like realizing all the ramifications Mm -hmm. of like what that means. And I remember looking up what was going on with our air quality in Indiana and Indiana has one of the worst air quality (laughs) rankings for States in the U S. And I remember being like, I'm about to go on Facebook and do a rant about, (laughs) about how terrible our air quality is in Indiana. But also I was like, I don't really understand why this big open state that's like predominantly flat has all this air pollution in it. And of course that's a trigger for asthma, um, and allergies and all sorts of different symptoms. And that seems to be what triggers my issues as I'm older, other than sometimes if I'm walking by cigarette smoke or if I'm running real hard and I am out of shape, um, (laughs) but poor air quality actually impacts lots of things. And so today I decided let's drill down on air pollution because we also are going to be diving more into this energy series. And this is one of those elements that comes in that isn't just climate change. Air pollution is a reason why we need to reevaluate our energy sector, but also a whole bunch of things that we do. So I wanted to talk about that today. So stick around. We'll be back in a moment to talk about air pollution. So we're, we're back and, and Sarah, recently I read something and I don't have the source on it right now, but basically that people respond better to words like air, land, and water than they do to natural resources or environment. 
what do you think about that like recognition it, it makes sense to me it 100 makes sense to me when you say something like airland and water that feels like a very tangible thing like we 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 know what those things are when you say something like natural resources it it just it feels like one step removed like what does that really mean when i say natural resource what is that you know i i think that it feels more removed it feels more quote unquote scientific in some way it feels a little bit less relevant i think to an individual i also think that like there's a certain um, like sterility to words like mm-hmm. environment and natural resources where Agreed. there's almost emotion when you talk about yes. land and water and air because like you, that's what you interact with mm-hmm. and that's how you would talk about it with your family so I wanted to talk about our air specifically because we breathe and it impacts our lives um but I wanted to start with a story so story time story time good story although I know the story that you're about to tell. <laughs> Do you? I'm sure I've heard of it before, but. Well, I'll tell you why I know it after you tell it. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, we're sitting in our story time mode. The year is 1948. It's late October and we're in Denora, Pennsylvania, which is about 25 miles outside the city of Pittsburgh. It's an industrialized town of about 14,000 people. And it's a few days before Halloween. I want to credit the Smithsonian mag for their description of what was going on in this town, because they have an amazing article. You should read it. That goes into more detail, but as they're describing it, it it felt like now, like they were having their Halloween parade with kids in their costumes and the local high school football team, the dragons were playing awesome. Right. Um, and people were out enjoying the fall weather, but they started realizing that there was more limited visibility around. Like it was harder to see farther distances. Even at the football game, there was limited visibility and it didn't quite really spark anything too troublesome initially because they were sort of used to things like that, sort of rolling in like the fog and then rolling out again. But the cool weather was coming in. And a yellow haze started to descend over the city. And within a couple days, it was so thick that as people started to call 911 experiencing respiratory distress, the ambulance couldn't drive through the streets. That's how thick the fog was. They couldn't see in front of them. It's terrifying. A doctor had to lead them through the streets by foot with a flashlight because that's how thick this fog was. And they were getting calls about people not being able to breathe. And the fog stayed for almost five days. Over those five days, uh, almost half of residents reported severe to moderate to severe respiratory distress and 20 people died within Denora and the nearby town of Webster. And if the rain had not come in and washed away the pollution, the doctor who led that ambulance through the street estimated that the death toll would have been closer to a thousand people than 20. So they we're looking into the source of this smog, which was what it was. And they were able to, after the government actually came in and did an investigation, determine that it was primarily sourced from the local zinc works and American steel and wire, um, as well as a bunch of river traffic and coal burning stoves the residents were using. And normally this pollution was already in the air and it would just dissipate, but a cold front basically trapped all of that smog in the in Denora, which was 
surrounded by 400 foot cliffs on either side. And then the warm air over top basically put a lid on it and there was no wind. So it just sat over that town for five days. And the companies actually had already been sued for having air pollution by the residents since the year 1915. So two world wars ago, (laughs) they had been sued about that. But also most of the people who lived in the town either worked there or their, you know, spouse worked there or a family member worked at these places. This was the main, um, the main industry in the area. After the 1948 incident, when the inspectors came, they concluded that yes, the gas was poisonous, and that the x-rays of the residents' lungs looked like victims of gas warfare. That's how bad it was. But they couldn't conclusively put the blame specifically on the companies because even though they could figure out kind of Mm -hmm. what was in the air, there was a combination of factors, including the weather. And the companies called the smog an act of God. And Denora was plagued for years after with increased rates of cancer and cardiovascular health concerns, which scientists believe have to do with though that smog incident. Yeah. It's crazy. I I almost feel like, you know, just if you're, as you're listening, folks sit with this for a minute, because I think the, the trouble with like, we're calling it story time, but I feel like sometimes it's too easy to just almost dismiss this. Oh, this happened decades ago. It sort of doesn't feel like reality. Like here was this crazy event, but think about those things that their x-rays looked like victims of gas warfare like that. I mean, so yeah, I think just take that in, listen to it, look up the article, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, It's unbelievable stuff. But the reason Casey that I know about this particular event is do do you watch the crown? (laughs) No, I don't. Okay. This is not an isolated incident. This happened in London in a few years later, I think it was 1952 and it is featured in episode four of the crown titled an act of God. And so I watched this episode and I was like, I mean, and it's, it's unbelievable to watch. It's a good episode, but I watch it and I was like, this can't be real. Like, but they couldn't have invented this for the show. Like they wouldn't take that much creative license or whatever. So I looked it up and I read about this, the black smog of London, I think is, is what it was called. And just very similar circumstances, except of course, they already knew <laughs> about what right. had happened here in the story that you just told. So they sort of didn't heed those warnings. And then I'm pretty sure the death toll in that incident was in the thousands. I believe so. Yes. So it's, this is, you know, but, but similar thing, this combination of these air pollutants in combination with, you know, whatever the weather system was um, just catastrophic impacts. And so even though, no, we don't have these catastrophic things that we can see every day, that just kind of highlights the very real impact that air pollution does have. Yeah. I read this story. First of all, my mind was blown. Second of all, it's always cited with actually a couple other things in there too. LA is very famous Mm -hmm. for having lots of air pollution issues, especially historically. Lots of these industrialized towns like in Western Pennsylvania would have like ash raining down from the sky, just as like normal course of day, whoop, all of our roofs are covered in soot. So this was both horrible and a finite incident. And also 
the whole reality in some ways. Like this was what was happening. Um, and as we're going to talk about, still sort of happening today to a certain extent in lots of places. But I wanted to talk about it because it covered so many different elements of basically why we should care about air pollution. So Sarah, if you go on the internet, there's lots of definitions of air pollution. Do you have like your own definition of air pollution? I don't. I I saw it when I saw this question on your, I, I like, <laughs> it made me laugh because I was like, hey, this is one, of, I feel like it's one of those challenges to how do you, how do you define the term without using the term? Right. <laughs> I just, I think that we say it so much that we, it just, I'm glad that you asked it though, because I was, as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, really like, what are the specifics of air pollution? I just think of it as bad stuff that's in the air that can make you sick. It's bad for us. It's bad for the environment. Uh, so that's what I think about when I think about air pollution. But I think it's worth, you know, kind of breaking it down like we're going to do tonight and talk about kind of what those sources are. Like, where does it come from? What types of things are we talking about that are in the air that are harmful to us in the environment. Right. I was going to like, this is the definitive definition, but like literally if you go to like the EPA versus the World Health Organization, all these, they all have their own little definitions. And that's basically what it is, is anything that deviates from the norm of air composition and atmospheric comp uh, composition that then actively harms us or the planet's processes. And that can be chemical, it can be organic, it can be um, something that like enters the atmosphere and is technically fine, but then when it interacts with something mm -hmm. else becomes bad. Yeah, that so was fascinating <laughs> to me to read about too, is yeah. that some of these are, are things that are in the air and then react like with the sunlight basically right. to, to become harmful substances. Right. I've put a little graph because it helps me a lot or a little comic strip, basically, <laughs> of some of this stuff. But it's, it's worth definitely breaking down what types of air pollution we're talking about. The NRDC has done a lot of work with air pollution. They have sued successfully the federal government trying to expand the definition of air pollution. And so they really break their significant categories down into uh, the common words of smog and soot. But these break down into more complicated definitions and also doesn't really cover everything. So first one is smog. I feel like we all know what smog looks like, but mm -hmm. I don't feel like we really know what it technically is when we're talking about that way. Yeah, I would say that that is true. And I think almost plays into folks. I'm feeling this will be a recurring thing for me tonight, but folks sort of just acceptance of it. Mm -hmm. We just sort of take it as, well, yep, it's it's smoggy out there today. You know, we, we just sort of see it and accept it. Well, and I assume that it's sort of a, a word with, that we smash together, smoke and fog, which are both like things that exist that are not necessarily in themselves considered pollutants like fog is a natural phenomenon smoke we've been burning fire since you know we were human beings in the caves so um both of those things normally exist smog put them together yeah, that's basically what it looks like um but basically the definition is ground level ozone so our atmosphere has lots of o2 in it oxygen with two molecules put together that's what we breathe but the ozone layer which is normally on the outer part of the atmosphere scientifically um, is O3. So that has three molecules. It's not the same sort of 
basically chemical compound that we breathe in. Um, one of the pollutants that causes smog is nitrogen dioxide when it reacts with sunlight. So we just talked about that a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about the sources, but basically when we emit either not nitrogen oxide or nitrogen dioxide, it reacts with the sunlight and basically knocks molecules off of different elements in the air and recombines so that there are those three ozone elements much lower than they normally are in the atmosphere. And that comes down to our level. Um, so nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and fluorine were found in the smog in Denora. So these, this is part of what that actual like yellow haze was, was the technical definition of smog. The next one is soot. So Sarah, if you were to think about soot in your normal life, what would you think about? You know what I think about? What? Chimney sweeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think about Mary Poppins and Bert the chimney sweep when I think about soot. Absolutely. Some chim chimney bad cockney <laughs> accents going on and I will forever love in my heart. Absolutely. Soot, right? Like a, a byproduct of fire, basically. Um, I don't really like that they call this soot because yeah. they're really encompassing a lot of a things lot of in things, it. Yes. I would say that soot is one of the things that makes up this, but really the technical name for it is particulate matter. So it's basically particles in the air. And normally when we're measuring particulate matter, we're looking at things that are micrometers. So PM10, particulate matter 10, is generally anything that's between 2.5 and 10 micrometers. And to give you an idea, that's like smaller than a grain of sand, like a fourth of the dimension of your, your hair or something like that. Like it is very, very small. And that category includes dust, dirt, pollen, and mold, which when I think we think about air pollution, we don't necessarily always think about pollen and mold as part mm -hmm. of that. So I always find that interesting because at what point is air pollution pollution and what point is it just plants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I just think it's good to note to all of the different sources that these things mm -hmm. come from. So yeah, there are just things like pollen, which as you say, this is just plant, but it's plant stuff that gets in the air and can be detrimental to us versus there are definitely other things that we are putting in there. I mean, cigarette smoke has mm -hmm. particulate matter in it. So that's another source for these. And, you know, we talk about like the going back to the smog to like in your nitrogen oxides and nitrogen dioxide, like these things are coming from burning fuel too. Burning so I just, I think it's good to note all of the different sources, both natural and man-made where these things are coming from. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit more because there's actually lots of natural and of course, many more unnatural sources of them. Um, the other type of particulate matter is 2.5, which is way, way smaller. And that is soot, smoke, organic compounds, and metals. That's super vague, but basically the teeny tiny stuff, yeah. um, which can be extra dangerous. Sulfur dioxide is another pollutant, which can make ozone, I believe, but also can mix with water to make acid rain. So I feel like acid rain was supposed to be a really big danger in my life in the nineties. Like, I feel like we talked about it in school. That was like one of the first like environmental, like 
plastic waste and acid rain. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there was a short time when I was young when I heard about acid rain and then I was just afraid of the rain. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought all rain. It was like, how much acid? Like, what am I going to dissolve if I, you know? Absolutely. It sounds like, is, the, yeah. like the evil plan of a Batman villain, mm-hmm. right? Like, ha we'll make it yes. rain acid and everyone will melt, but yeah. not quite exactly what it is. And then others like lead and carbon monoxide are things that we also emit. Also worth noting, uh, hydrofluorocarbons, is that what they are? Did I say hydro? Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool, cool. Um, Are considered air pollutants because of their damage to the ozone layer. Methane is in there and carbon dioxide as well. Um, And the the last two I mentioned are greenhouse gases. We're not really going to linger on greenhouse gases and climate change, but it is worth saying that when we emit those things, they change our atmosphere and are therefore technically air pollution. And so we just talked about it. air pollution is produced by both natural and human-made processes. It enters the atmosphere and is transported by wind. Sometimes it's changed by chemical reactions in the atmosphere, and it either remains in the atmosphere or it's deposited into our environment in other ways. So Sarah, we talked about it a little bit. Plants are a source of natural air pollution. What else would be natural air pollution? Which is funny because I wouldn't have had that on my radar (laughs) as a natural source if we hadn't just talked about it. I wouldn't have thought that wouldn't have been one that popped into my head. I would think the big one if when I think of natural sources, I think would have been wildfires, which Mm -hmm. obviously can be exacerbated by man as well. But a natural source would be the smoke from wildfires. I also think of like the dust bowl, you know, so just wind blown, uh, particles, um, volcanoes, I guess would be another one that, you know, I don't necessarily think about in my daily life, but, uh, could be another natural source for some of those things that we talked about. I feel like volcanoes like uh, are sometimes brought up in the climate change discussion where they're like, it's not actually humans. It's all the volcanoes. And I'm like, how often are you interacting with volcanoes? Um, but they, yeah, absolutely. They put out soot and all sorts of yes. things out into the environment. Lightning actually also creates some air pollution. It's a lot of combustion pra- uh, processes basically that creates a lot of this. I also like having this conversation, think about how air pollution is very much defined by human standards because plants are not considering pollen pollution. Right. They're like, yes. I mean, that's where the definition comes into play. Right. Although, I mean, I guess we do talk about it as being damaging to the environment as well, but we are like the definition part of the definition is something that's going to be damaging to human health. Right. And something that you also brought up in there is that some of these are exacerbated by there's like a feedback loop there. Mm -hmm. When we add air pollution into the air that creates climate change, it makes those wildfires more intense. Mm -hmm. Um, It is going to have more severe storms that kick up higher winds that might kick up more things. It can even change the times that plants are putting off pollen. And so, yes, that impacts our health. It does impact, I mean, molds and things like that also impact wildlife as well. Of course, it is basically wildlife, like a fungi is technically wildlife Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Um, So those lines are all drawn by us, but um, those natural sources can also play in with those unnatural sources. So speaking of unnatural sources, what are the man-made causes of air pollution? What are, you can list a couple. 
a, a lot of the same things that we talk about when we talk about climate change and greenhouse gases, as as you mentioned, um, they are just interrelated. So it's going to be the burning of fossil fuels. So whether that's our cars, our trucks, our airplanes, whatever, our uh, industry, so our production of materials, our power plants, again, you know, the the burning and combustion, that's going to be a, the big source. And then, like I said, you know, things like cigarette smoke are increasing yeah. know, pollution in, in there. Yeah. The, the really significant sources from humans are going to be, like you said, crossing over with all the ways that we use fossil fuels, as well as big manufacturing. If you think about like us producing things like steel, Mm -hmm. that was what was going on in Denora there. They're producing a lot of metals and things in those smelting processes, even though it's not just like, oh, we're burning fossil fuel to power our machines. It also has to do with the actual manufacturing and industry. So that absolutely produces these air pollution elements into the atmosphere. For Sarah, looking back at that story, when I was writing this, I felt like I was like a textbook where they're like, here's an example (laughs) story. Here's all the question. Um, What were some of the health impacts that we talked about with the Denoran residents and um, and other ways that pollution might impact our health? So, I mean, just going back to that, like people died. Yeah. People like this was, I mean, so that's the, the quickly biggest impact yeah that that for what did you was this five days as well I think yeah. the London one was was five days too that this smog kind of sat over the area and people died within that short term I, I think you know a lot of times when we talk about air pollution we're going to think about just respiratory irritation so inflammation it might just be like coughing sneezing that type of thing your respiratory tract can get inflamed, which can cause mild to severe discomfort for people as well. Do you want me to stop there? Do you want to talk about long-term things? Well, let's just stop there for a second because I think you're also sort of touching on like like on the edges of something that I think about a lot, which is when we tell these stories from the past, I think it's easy to be like, well, why didn't they just all leave town? Or Mm. why were they why would they do this to like live in an area mm-hmm. that they knew that there was pollution around? Like they sued the companies in 1915. Like they knew it was happening. I mean, I think the answers to that are, like you said, a lot of them worked there, like this right. is their livelihood. And we all do this. Like we literally all do this. We knowingly have ourselves in places where we know I live in a city. I know there's going to be more air pollution here, but like this is, uh, it's what we have to do to to make our livelihoods. Where are they going to go? You know, yes, they could have maybe left for those five days if they knew, you know, what the the outcome was going to be. Maybe some of them could have done that. But well, apparently some of the chronically ill were advised to do so, but the ambulance literally could not True. see driving yeah. down the road. Like there was not an easy way to escape the city, like on foot. What are you, mm-hmm. you're chronically ill with something that puts you at high risk for respiratory diseases. Please go walk through the smog in the middle of the streets where you can't see, like it, it, it was happening. I like, I don't watch horror movies, but I assume that this is a plot of something and it, <laughs> would scare me like that's it's everywhere the air is around us you can't escape it like 
I mean, it also reminds me a little bit of COVID where like the early days when we were like, I have no idea how (laughs) it's invisible to me. It's in the air. I don't know if it's going to transmit to me, but all of a sudden everything and everyone around me seems scarier than what it did before. And I'm sure that this now, after this like severe incident, they had very similar feelings where they were like, oh no, (laughs) we didn't realize we were living in a potential disaster and then it happens. And now Mm -hmm. we have to be aware of it all the time. So, okay, let's talk about those long-term effects then. Yeah. So, I mean, I obviously death is more often going to be a long-term effect, (laughs) you know, for us, for, for air pollution, but think about how important breathing is (laughs) and the ability to get oxygen. I mean, to, to get oxygen to your organs, like that is essential for being alive. And so if you can't do that, well, uh, not only, you know, ultimately, like you said, is, is death going to be a, a, potential outcome. There are a lot of other things too. So not only can you have those respiratory effects, like the lining of your air passageways getting inflamed, which could make you more susceptible to airway infections as well, could be another long-term effect. It's also uh, affects your heart, your cardiovascular system. And I was reading a little bit about that and they think that it actually like ages your blood vessels and can cause buildup inside your blood vessels, which decreases your blood flow to your organs. So then you start thinking about things like heart attacks and stroke as potential long-term effects too. And I think, you know, like lung cancer is another big one that we hear a lot with air pollution. So all kinds of things, some which you might expect, you know, things having to do with the airway, but it goes beyond that too. I think the cardiovascular part really, like to me, something about cancer, probably because I don't know that much about cancer and also all cancers are different where it's like, yeah, if you go through some sort of traumatic event, I can see where like something in your body would go wrong that like cancer might happen. But with the cardiovascular issues, particulate matter is so small that when it enters its lungs, it then can slip into your bloodstream which is wild. And I think this is where, this is something we haven't talked about microplastics as air pollution. When we're seeing these articles where they're like, plastics are found in human bloodstream. This is probably how they're super tiny and I they never are coming in. thought about it in ter- as air pollution. But like, we yeah. know it's in the air, which, I mean, we could do a whole nother episode on, on microplastics, but the fact that it then slows down your blood and your ability to like, heart disease is one of the leading causes of deaths of Americans. So all of these things compound themselves into each other. A lot of times you're not going to be able to isolate air pollution as a factor because it is everywhere. Like, so they have to do these like big studies and they actually did a study on the people of Denora and found that like at the, the sample of people who were having heart attacks, I believe that their sample there, like 70 people ended up with cardiovascular disease when the expectation would have been 39 people should have had it. So we definitely saw an impact there and we can't necessarily say that it was these five days, but Mm -hmm. in this area where they had increased air pollution definitely happened. So again, that Denora smog is considered sort of a finite event, but air pollution impacts everybody. In fact, the World Health Organization said that more than nine out of 10 people in the world breathe air that surpasses safe limits set by the World Health Organization. What a stat. 
it's like 99%. It's like a crazy amount. So uh, it impacts you. Sorry. Like, I don't know who's Whoever living you on, are. This, yep, it's... on this mountaintop breathing in your like, <laughs> like clean air, <laughs> but I'm jealous. <laughs> 7 million people die prematurely due to air pollution. And in 2019, the Union of Concerned Scientists found that soot exposure was 34% higher for, and this is just in America, in Asian Americans on average than for other Americans. For Black people, the exposure rate was 24% higher, and for Latinos, 23% higher, which is all to say that it doesn't, it does impact all of us, but it doesn't impact us all equally. Mm -hmm. And these people tend to have higher rates of things like asthma, which is correlated with environmental irritants, such as air pollution. So it's happening. It's around us. It's impacting your community. If you're in a marginalized community, it already probably impacts you more. It's especially an issue in places um, that are uh, rapidly industrializing. So here in the U.S., we're like, look, it's time to switch over to solar and we have our standards and other places where they're just like, we need sanitation and electricity to be like accessible to the people. Even that means burning coal. Those places have worse air pollution. Uh, I wanted to touch because we are a nature podcast about how it impacts wildlife. So, Sarah, can you think of some ways that it impacts wildlife? Well, I mean, I think it's got to be a similar thing. It's it's interesting. I feel like we don't hear too much about this. I do remember hearing or maybe I looked it up. I don't know if somebody if we were talking about it, but that pets have Mm -hmm. they've done some studies on like dogs and cats and their exposure to both indoor and outdoor air pollution and have found increased rates of of cancer. And I think maybe even like plaques in the brain of, of dogs, I think it was, um, because of exposure to pollutants in the air. So I guess, yeah, that's my, my answer to the question in terms of what I know. It's not something that I've heard a whole lot about, but based on the little bit that I know, I think that we see it have similar, similar impacts on wildlife. And then of course, there's also just the degradation of habitat and that sort of thing that could go along with this, like acid rain. (laughs) Acid rain. Yeah. So there's not a lot of conclusive studies about air pollution and wildlife. Like you said, a number of studies have found that our pets are impacted by air pollution, resulting in higher rates of cancer. Acid rain raises the pH of our water systems, which can kill fish, plants, and microbiota in wetlands and streams. Um, They took samples in a lake near Denora and found that contaminants like lead and cadmium start, they like took core samples down there, like they do with the Arctic ice to look at different levels of carbon dioxide that we've produced. And um, in that core sample they took, the year that zinc works opened is where the lead and cadmium sediment started. So Mm. they can trace it pretty conclusively to a factory. (laughs) Um, So, and all that to say that it's in the environment, it's in the sediment. And they said in that study, basically, if there's some sort of large flooding or some sort of event that can also wash into our groundwater and end up impacting human health once again, even though it's many, many years later. Uh, A recent study, and I found this fascinating, in 2020 found that regulations that reduced the nitrogen oxide pollution may have saved 1.5 billion birds over the last 40 years. So pollution can impact their respiratory health and can 
also impact the plant and insect health in a mm. environment, which then reduces their fitness. So of course they can get respiratory disease, but also they like, can't find food. Like you said, habitat degradation, can't find resources. And so think about that. I mean, like in some ways that's amazing because we we've saved that many birds because over that same, that was basically within conjunction of that same study that said we lost 3 billion of them in North America over that Mm -hmm. 40 year period. We would have lost 1.5 billion more if we hadn't enacted some measures through the clean air act. So there definitely impacts that we make on the environment. So since Denora, we have had the clean air act here in the U S uh, and I was amazed to find that this is not the first, I mean, like I wasn't amazed to find it was the first act of air pollution, but that actually air pollution policy goes back to the ancient Roman empire. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. So in the Roman empire, they had laws that allowed land deals to be terminated based on unhealthy air. What? <laughs> I know. I don't know. How did exactly they know? I, they apparently had like a special term for it. And I don't know if it was just like that smoky. I'm not buying that no more mm-hmm. or like what, but a plaintiff did win their case where they basically sued a cheese uh, shop and the cheese shop was no longer allowed to emit smoke. That was then impacting the living space of a second story living quarters. So in under Roman law, air pollution is a no, no, they understood that. Um, and Justinian proclaimed air, water, and sea as a birthright in the sixth century. So that was like sort of their <laughs> pursuit of happiness sort of clause in there <laughs> that we like to use to, to, to try and, you know, sanctify our yeah. life basically. And, and same thing for there, which I love, like that's their quote unquote, natural resources environment. He did it during the reforms there. And so that's pretty cool. And Edward, the first of England, speaking of London, uh, that great fog from Elizabeth's time was not the first time there was a big smog incident in London. Um, and when he was there, which I think was like the 1300s, they were burning sea coal. And I did not go as deep into this. <laughs> <laughs> this outlines four pages is too much already. Um, but he banned that because there was a bunch of smog in London. All the people were like, too bad, so sad. I need to have a hot house, please, um, to be able to not be cold. But he did try and do that legislation because they could see the quality of the air decrease. Now, in the U.S., a lot of our legislation that had to do with this became on the local and state levels. So, Sarah, what would be like issues with having these air pollution standards just at the local and state levels? I don't know. What are you getting at? I, what I'm getting at, I guess, is that um, air moves. So if you just because oh, like well, you yeah. have good regulations for your citizens, if literally the next state over, they don't like you're still going to get the air pollution from the neighboring state. So it's one of those resources that you can't just be like, we do with our land sure. what we will. It's uh, it's spread yeah. out over there. That makes sense. If I have thought about it for 30 seconds, I mean, we get dust from the desert in Africa, you know, that blows across the oceans to us literally. So yeah, if even if your city is doing something properly, if the next city over is not doing their share, it's still going to be impacting you. Yeah. Back when I was looking up, why does Indiana have terrible air pollution levels? I really didn't find a lot, but one of the reasons they were giving for worse air pollution recently were the fires in California, which Mm, then we could see the impacts all throughout the U.S. Like you would see that the sky was a different color. I think it was like almost red in Indiana for a couple of days there, Mm -hmm. even though those fires were out in California, which if you're not American, look at a map that's a pretty far distance. So yeah, the quality of someone's air, it doesn't stay 
with them. Partially in response to Denora, Congress passed the 1955 Air Pollution Control Act, which really authorized research of air pollution in the U.S. So based on this research, it inspired the creation of the 1963 Clean Air Act, which didn't really do a whole lot until it was amended a bunch in 1970, 1977, and which feels like very recently because we're old now, 1990. So um, when they found that people weren't really keeping up with the standards as, as shown, they updated them and also included a bunch more contaminants in there. And I believe it covers like 170 contaminants in our air. So it's a lot of things that are regulated. Um, it established national air quality standards, which seems pretty basic, but also super important to know like what we're deeming as acceptable levels of air pollution. And it allowed for the federal regulation of air pollution from both stationary and mobile sources. So the EPA is mostly in charge of this stuff, but think about those fuel efficiency standards and when they banned lead from gasoline, (laughs) all of that's because our Clean Air Act allows them to have jurisdiction over the air from these different sources. Mm -hmm. So they're able to increase standards for industry, for power plants, for cars, for all these different things. And if we keep ratcheting those up, then we're going to have cleaner and cleaner air. And in 2011, the Supreme Court ruled in Massachusetts versus the EPA that greenhouse gases also qualify under regulation by the Clean Air Act. Um, And since then, we have additional vehicle fuel standards, which have cut emissions significantly, despite there being more cars on the road. So other than saving a whole bunch of birds, the Clean Air Act has had all sorts of impacts on human health on the quality of our air. And one of the, I think the big things that people have an issue with, with federal uh, mandates like this is that the burden is too high on businesses that you can't have a one size fits all sort of mandate for things because each state is different. Um, And so part of the Clean Air Act is actually, even though they have the national air quality standards, they have states create statewide plans to specifically address the issues for that state. But as to the cost element, the EPA estimates when they updated the standards in 1990, the program costs about $60 billion a year to reduce like for the cost to businesses and the cost to car manufacturers to up all these standards, all the research and things, $60 billion a year, which seems like a lot, don't get me wrong, but that it has saved $2 trillion per year in health costs and loss of life. So it has had huge impacts as far as even just saving us money. Um, And the NRDC estimates that it's prevented 370,000 premature deaths per year. Mobile sources like trains and planes and automobiles, they have become 99% cleaner for hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide and nitrogen oxides and particulate matter. I'm reading this basically off of the Wikipedia, thanks Wikipedia page on this because they had the best summary weirdly. They basically have reduced the levels in like lead and nitrous oxides and carbon monoxides, all the things that cause things like smoke or smog uh, by 90%, which means that even though we have four times the amount of miles driven by cars on the road than we did, I believe since the 1970s, we have lower emissions, um, even though we've increased that much. And since the 1980s, a fourth of ground level ozone has been cut. Mercury emissions have been cut by 80%. And the change from leaded to unleaded gas has 90% of atmospheric lead pollution has been reduced. So like a crazy amount, totally doable. Yeah. 
Uh, and finally, a 2018 study found the Clean, Clean Air Act contributed to the 60% decline in pollution emissions by manufacturing industry between 1990 and 2008. So like huge things we have accomplished. The power of legislation. Yes, we've put our minds to it. We said air is important. I'm really glad we all agree that air is important. Like, I think we think about the things that divide us a lot, but really I think our children breathing clean air is important to everybody. I think like mm -hmm. the value of spending a couple more years with our loved ones who might otherwise die prematurely, even if we don't always agree about the way to go about it, I think those yeah. values are are universal. Yeah. And I think the big thing for me in all of this, like, even though that's true, we do care about our air. We all know that we need good clean air to breathe. I think, I really do think that air pollution is something that we take for granted. Like, I think that because outside of, yes, you know, we have the big cities where we can see the smog. We have these sort of major incidents where it's to the extreme. But I think on a daily basis, I walk outside, I cannot see the pollution in the air. I'm very fortunate that I don't have asthma or some other condition that's going to make me more susceptible. And so I think it's very easy for folks like me to walk around and just not think about this and, and also to just be like, well, I mean, I know that there's air pollution out there, but in the same way that I'm going to eat my junk food, I'm just gonna like, it's fine. And I really want us to not be like that because all of those impacts that you just read off, those are huge real things that we've done by putting this legislation into place. And I don't want us to feel like we have to stop there. Like if we can keep improving things, let's do it because people are still getting sick and people are still dying. You know, even if it's, it's not you or we don't see it every day, this is really something that's still impacting the health of both people and wildlife around us. So let's try not to take it for granted. I think that's an incredibly important point. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think we think about it like, I mean, I think we think about so many things that way. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't see it right now. Yes. If fog smog were to descend upon my town, I might all of a sudden be passionate about it. But at the same time, like an invisible smog is right. still around lots of people in the US. I believe it's something like four in 10 Americans also don't have clean air. So as much as I want to celebrate what this act has done and like, clearly there are impacts, there are such a ways to go. As you said, we don't have to rest on our laurels and be like, that was enough because <laughs> we haven't done the whole work yet. You know what we need? What? Uh, well, you know, when you're a kid and you go to the dentist or whatever, and you have to chew that little tablet that like stains your teeth pink to show where you're <laughs> yeah. not brushing. <laughs> That's what we need for air pollution. We just need something. That's Dye the gonna, air a little bit. Yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> to show us visibly how much pollution is in there. But would that then be considered air, air pollution? <laughs> uh, we don't really need that. I was just trying to use the analogy. To make a point. When we see it. Absolutely. know what we can do about it. And I, so I think it, Given the fact that we're not always going to be able to see it, we just need to put it into our brains that this is still an issue and still something that we can do something about. And I really appreciate you 
doing all of that research and sharing all of that great info. Well, thanks for listening to Storytime and participating <laughs> in, in the lesson plan for today, Sarah and <laughs> listeners. Uh, if you stick around, we're going to have your challenges for the week. All right. And we're back. And Sarah, I'm so glad that you brought up basically that there's more work to do because there absolutely is. And it's important that we recognize that not everybody is seeing these benefits equally. So one of the organizations that actually first comes up when you type in air pollution is the American Lung Association. Go figure. Yeah. Who is now bombarding me with ads on all (laughs) social media platforms. (laughs) Um, but that's fine. I rather have that than uh, random products I don't need. But they have a really incredible website because they do a like state of the air report every year and they can tell you by your state and your county how you are doing as far as like number of days that are not safe in your county. And they also have a bunch of actionable items, both like in your house of what you can do to reduce both indoor and outdoor air pollution. Cause we didn't even talk about the inside stuff mm-hmm. um, as well as legislation that you can advocate for. Um, they are obviously like a health organization. They're not, I think that's one of the things I like about talking about air pollution is that it's not entirely a environmental issue and it's not entirely an industry issue. It is very much a health issue. And I really like what this organization is doing because their ultimate goal is that we can all breathe clean air. And so they're trying to produce policies that do that. Seems like a good goal to me. It's a good goal. They also do obviously lots of amazing research for things like lung cancer and all sorts of things. My life has been touched by lung cancer. Obviously I have asthma. So like they're an association that I would consider a little close to my heart in all of their advocate, uh, advocacy. So I recommend checking them out. See if you can find something that's local to your area about how clean your air is. Um, you can check your air quality. Generally, if you've got like a smartphone on your weather app, it'll tell you. And, uh, and maybe it's something to keep an eye on to just, especially as it gets hotter during the summer here in the Northern hemisphere, this is actually when air pollution's worse. So, uh, I really want to recommend that you guys check out the American lung association and just keep a little bit closer eye on the invisible air all around us. Hey, we haven't said this in a while. If you like our podcast and you like, listen to us, please rate us on iTunes or whatever platform that you're listening on, because it gets us in front of more people's ears, I guess. <laughs> Um, <laughs> eyes and then ears, important things for go. them to see us and hear us on. So, um, so that'd be really helpful. If you want to support the pod, that's a great way to do it. Um, or you can share our stuff on social media, Sarah, where can they find us on the social media? On Facebook, we're a little greener podcast on Instagram. We are at a little greener pod on Twitter. We are at a greener podcast and you can also send us an email at a little greener podcast at gmail.com and whenever you're listening you know we try to do these challenges every week so whenever you're completing a challenge if you've done something if you're working on something if you want to tell us about it that's awesome if you have something that you want us to share on an episode send that our way if you have suggestions for future episodes we are always taking suggestions too you can tag us in photos to show us what you're doing we'll share your photos as well we do want to have a little greener community here because obviously the, the more we can do together, the better off we'll be. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for, for hanging out with me, Sarah. It's good to see your face, hear your voice. Always a pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.